Today's scripture reading comes from Daniel chapter 6, verses 6 through 11 and 15 to 23. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, Make King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next thirty days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered, in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room, where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, May the king live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. Hi everyone, and thanks again for tuning in today. Whether you're sitting on your chair right now, or on your couch, or on your very comfortable bed, whether you're in the city, around the country, or around the world, Thank you for joining our online service. My name is Aaron and I'm one of the pastors at Exilic. And if you recall, uh, when this quarantine first happened many moons ago, the very first sermon series that we did was called What to Do When I Feel dot dot dot. So we talked about what to do when I feel afraid, what, it's, what to do when I feel anxious, what to do when I feel overwhelmed, what to do when I feel hopeless. And the reason why we did this sermon series is because we wanted to help you process your feelings and your emotions during this time. But now that we're heading into week 11 of our quarantine, it's also time for us to start thinking about our habits as well. Now, had we begun this quarantine with a series on our habits, how to pick up new hobbies, how to be productive, that probably would have been a mistake. And it's not so much that that's bad advice, so much as it is bad timing. When a once in a generation uh, global pandemic strikes that's completely unprecedented, we need some space to mourn, cry, and lament. But now that we've done that, and I'm not saying that we should stop doing that, but as we are heading into week 11, 
It is also time for us to start thinking a little bit more critically about our schedules, our time, and our habits. Because whether we realize it or not, this quarantine, it's molding and shaping us. And it's molding and shaping our habits in particular. And guess what? If we don't plan our day, you know what's gonna happen? Our day is going to plan us. And if we don't plan our spiritual habits in particular, there's no way our day is going to plan them for us. And so today, what I wanna talk about is the importance of our spiritual habits having a concrete game plan. In his New York Times best-selling book, Atomic Habits, one of my favorite examples that James Clear gives is that of two teams making it to the Super Bowl. And chances are two teams make it to the Super Bowl, they have the same amount of talent. But they not only have the same amount of talent, they also have the same goal, and that is to win the Super Bowl. And yet, inevitably, what ends up happening is that there is one winner and there is one loser. And Clear says, why? Why is that the case if they have the same goal and the same amount of talent? And Clear says the reason for that is because they have different game plans. One team has a good game plan, while the other team has a bad game plan. And so oftentimes, when it comes to our spiritual lives, we have the right goals. We, we want to pray more. We want to read the Bible more. We want to try to come to church a little bit more consistently. We want to get plugged in more and, and meet people in our community. But oftentimes, the reason why we don't reach those goals is not because those are bad goals so much as we don't have a game plan. Or if we do, it's not a very good game plan. So as we take a look at our text today, what I want to see is someone who has good spiritual habits, but they not only have good spiritual habits, they have a concrete, good game plan, and that is Daniel. Now, in order to understand Daniel a little bit better, we have to understand the Old Testament better. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to summarize the entire latter half of the Old Testament with the name of one bakery. You ready? The name of the bakery is... Ah, Bon, Pon. The A stands for Assyria. The B stands for Babylon. The P stands for Persia. Now, throughout my academic career, I've never been the sharpest tool in the toolbox, but acronyms helped me survive through seminary. And so you're going to now remember the entire latter half of the Old Testament because of how ridiculous this acronym is. All Bon Pon, ABP, Assyria, Babylon, and Persia. So first the Assyrians come and they conquer the Israelites. And they say, here's what we're going to do. We're going to rule you from afar. You can keep your weird religion, your laws, uh, your language, uh, but we're just going to rule you from afar and you can stay in your land. But after the Assyrians came, the Babylonians came. And the Babylonians conquered the Assyrians and therefore they inherited the Israelites. And they said, we don't really like the fact that you're all the way over there and we're all the way over here. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take all of you or most of you captive and exile you into our land. And you're going to adopt our religions, our language, our culture, and you're going to assimilate with us. And one of the people that was taken captive and exiled by the Babylonians was a young Jewish teenager named Daniel. And he and a few other precocious young men like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were selected to serve King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian administration. But after the Babylonians came the Persians. And the Persians said, you know what, if you guys want to go back to your land, your 
you're free to do so. But if you want to stay here, you can also stay here. And most of the Israelites, because they had been there so long, ended up staying because they had assimilated to Babylonian and now Persian culture. And Daniel as well ended up staying in Persia. And the reason for that is because King Darius, who was king of Persia at the time, liked Daniel a lot. And he wanted him to serve the Persian administration just as he did the Babylonian administration. So Daniel not only served one administration, but two administrations. By the time we go from Daniel chapter 1, when he's a young teenage boy taken captive and exiled, to Daniel chapter 6, about 70 years have gone by. And so now this young teenage boy is a, is a senior citizen, probably around 85 years old. Now, for those of you who have grown up in the church, probably read some picture Bibles, when you see a picture of Daniel in the lion's den, he's a young teenage boy. But the truth of the matter is, when Daniel is thrown into the lion's den, he's really around 85 years old. And this story, the story of Daniel and, and Daniel in the lion's den, like any good story, is embedded in scandal. And in this particular case, it's embedded in a political scandal because King Darius wanted to elevate Daniel to be number two in charge of all of Persia. And the satraps and those in the administration of Persia didn't like that. And because out of their jealousy, out of their envy, and perhaps racism because he was a Jew and they're all Persians, they didn't want that to happen. So they probably hired some political or, or private investigators to uh, take an inquiry of Daniel's life. But unfortunately, they couldn't find any dirt because Daniel lived a very clean life. But there was one thing that was very unique about Daniel, and that was the fact that he was very public about his weird faith. And so they leveraged Daniel's faith against him by preying on the narcissism of the king. And they tell the king, let's make this random law where uh, if anyone prays to a god or another human being other than you, King Darius, that person should be thrown into the lion's den. And the king's ego and narcissism bit the plan hook, line, and sinker. He signed it with his signet ring, and that law became irreversible. And because it became irreversible, and this law was now the law of the land, we now pick up in verse 10 of our story, and it says this. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room, where the window opened towards Jerusalem. And three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. You know what's so crazy about this verse? Uh, the reason why Daniel got down on his knees to pray three times wasn't just because he was scared, although he was, and he was crying out to God for help. But the reason why Daniel prayed three times was because Daniel always prayed three times. It was a part of Daniel's spiritual game plan to get down on his knees, to go upstairs to his room, open the windows, face Jerusalem, and to pray three times a day. Now, I want you to place yourself in Daniel's shoes for a moment. Think of all the rationalizations that could have entered into his mind. You know, it's not commanded in the Bible that we have to pray every day, and it's certainly not commanded in the Bible that we have to pray three times a day. Furthermore, this law, this unjust law, was only for 30 days. Daniel could have thought to himself, you know what, I'm just going to take a quick sabbatical for my prayer life and then pick up just like nothing ever happened. He could have thought to himself, you know what, if I, I am better, better, to, better off serving God and my people alive than dead. 
And if I were to become elevated to number two in command, think of the influence and platform that I, I could have. I could serve God and my people even better. But no such rationalizations entered into Daniel's mind. Instead, his rationale was this. I would rather be dead than for you to take away my prayer life. For Daniel, prayer was more important than life itself. He would rather be eaten in a den of lions than for you to take away his prayer life. Now think of, let that stew on that for a moment. Prayer for Daniel was more important than life itself. And the logic and the rationale was this. If you'd sever off my prayer life, it is the equivalent of you severing off my relationship with God because this is how I talk with God. That is how important uh, Daniel's relationship with God was. He took such uh, pride in being a follower of God and having a relationship with God. He took such pride in that, that he illegally prayed. Who we are shapes what we do, okay? The more proud you are of being and identifying as a Christian, chances are good spiritual habits are gonna uh, follow. The less proud you are of being a Christian, chances are the less spiritual habits that you're gonna do. But not only does who we are shape what we do, but what we do also shapes who we are. There's no question that Daniel's prayer life gave him the spiritual resiliency, moxie, and gravitas that he needed to face this trial when he was facing it. And this explains why I have never met a godly person with bad spiritual habits. Every godly person I know has good spiritual habits with a good game plan. So the question we have to ask ourselves is this then, why is it so hard to do spiritual habits then? Well, for most people, their New Year's resolution um, usually ends by Valentine's Day. And so on January 1st, it's a new them, but by February 14th, it's the old them and not much has changed. And so as a result, we feel very defeated, discouraged, and disheartened about the prospect of any change. Uh, we see where we're at, we see the distance that we need to go to, and that distance seems uh, insurmountable. And so we quickly become disenchanted without, uh, of any prospect of change. And oftentimes we're quick to blame ourselves. But what we should be doing is, rather than being quick to blame ourselves because we're not changing, what we should be quick to blame is our game plans. I like what James Clear says in his book, Atomic Habits, when he says, if you're having trouble changing your habits, the problem isn't you. The problem is your system or your game plan. Bad habits repeat themselves again and again, not because you don't want to change, most of us do, but because you have the wrong system or game plan for change. If you want better results, then forget about setting goals, focus on your system or game plan instead. And for Daniel, his game plan, again, was going upstairs to his room, getting down on his knees, opening up the windows, facing Jerusalem, and praying three times a day, probably morning, midday, and in the evening. And the point is that we all need a game plan. It doesn't have to be the same game plan, but we all need a game plan. For you, your game plan might be coming to noontime prayer to pray with us for 15 to 20 minutes a day. For some of you, you're morning people, so you're gonna do things in the morning. For some of you, you're evening people, and so you're gonna do things in the evening. 
For some of you, your game plan might be reading one verse a day. For others, a few verses a day. For others of you, a few chapters a day. For others of you, your game plan might be to attend and watch the full Sunday service and not just the Sunday sermon because who you are is not just a consumer, but who you first and foremost are is a worshiper of God. And the point is there is no one size fits all game plan for our habits. The point is that we just simply need to have a game plan for our habits. Uh, one of the things that I do is what James Clear refers to as habit stacking, and I was doing this without even realizing it. But this is how he defines habit stacking, and he says, one of the best ways to build a new habit is to identify a current habit you already do each day and then stack your new behavior on top. This is called habit stacking. The formula is, after current habit, I will new habit. And so I'll give you an example of how I um, uh, stack my habits uh, every morning. Inevitably, when I wake up in the morning, much like 99% of you, the very first thing that I do is I check my phone. I check the weather, I check social media, I check at one point uh, my fantasy scores, I check the news. But the first thing I do every morning out of habit is I check my phone. But you know what I do? Uh, to uh, while I'm checking my phone is that I stack another habit on top of that. And so as I'm opening up different apps, I also open up my Bible app. And for me in the mornings, I listen to the Bible. And uh, during this quarantine right now, I'm listening to the Psalms. And if I can't give a thesis of what I just heard, then I re-listen to what I just heard. And then I meditate, meditate and pray uh, about what I just read in the morning. And then uh, at noon, I attend noontime prayer for about 15 or 20 minutes, again, where we meditate and pray about what we just heard. And then in the evening, uh, after the kids go down to sleep, but before I'm really sleepy at night, I try and spend 30 minutes again in prayer. So my game plan is to try and spend at least an hour uh, with God uh, through prayer, meditation, and reading the Word. Now, some of you might be thinking, that's, that's a lot. Uh, I don't know if I can do that. And that's totally fine. The point is, isn't that you have my game plan. The point is that you have a game plan and that you are doing something daily and, and regularly. For others of you, you might be thinking, my pastor only, you know, prays 30 minutes, you know, a day. I mean, that's not, that's not exactly a lot. And, and you know what? My game plan right now during this quarantine with, with the two kids at home, it, it works for me. It pushes me because it's not easy for me to do. Prior to having two kids, I used to pray 10 more minutes a day. How do I know I used to pray 10 more minutes a day? Because that was a part of my game plan at night. But right now, this, this current schedule, my current game plan works for me. The point again is that we all need some kind of game plan because if you don't have a plan, uh, your habits are never gonna come into fruition. Like what the French novelist Anthony Trollope says when he said, a small daily task if it be daily, will beat the labors of a spasmodic Hercules. You don't need to pray one hour a day. You don't need to read 10 chapters a day, but you do need a game plan and you do need to do something daily and regularly. And the main reason why we need to have a thoughtful game plan on how to be with God is because God has a very thoughtful game plan 
on how to be with us. And this is what theologians would refer to as God's redemptive plan. And so the story continues in verse 11. As we see God's redemptive plan unfolding to be with us, and it says in verse 11, then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. Now, don't miss this point. Just as God shut the mouth of the lions, he could have easily shut the eyes of these corrupt politicians, but he didn't. Instead, God allowed these politicians to see Daniel pray, and as a result, he was thrown into the lion's den. I think the reason why God allowed that is at the very least to show us that our spiritual habits give us a certain, again, sense of resiliency, moxie, and gravitas than had we not done these things. Um, Remember from our very first sermon, what Paul tells to Timothy. And Paul tells Timothy that godliness has value in every way. Physical training has some value, but it's limited to the physical dimensions of life. Vocational training has some value, but it's limited to the vocational dimensions of life. But godliness has value in every way because it penetrates every sphere of life. Godliness transforms how we look at ourselves, how we look at other people. Uh, Godliness gives us higher ethics. It transforms our marriages, how how we parent. Uh, It penetrates every sphere of life. The point of the Christian life is not just to go to heaven. The point of the Christian life is to get as much of heaven into us as well. And when that happens, that changes how we live our lives. And that changes how we go through trials and and different tests that we face in life as well. And it gives us the moxie that we need to face those things, just as Daniel had, then had we not done those things. But I think there's a second reason why. God closes the mouth of the lions, but he doesn't close the eyes of the politicians. And it's not just to show us that our spiritual habits give us a moxie, the kind of moxie that Daniel had, the kind of courage and bravery. But the second reason why God does this is because this story, you know what? It's not just about Daniel. This story is really pointing to someone far greater than Daniel, and that is Jesus Christ. Now think about the parallels for a moment between Daniel's life right now and the life of Jesus. Both Daniel and Jesus had corrupt politicians that were drumming up false charges against them in order to kill them. Both Daniel and Jesus had a senior political leader who found them innocent and faultless and didn't want them to die. Both Daniel and Jesus were thrown into a pit. Both Daniel and Jesus had a stone rolled over the mouth of the pit. Both Daniel and Jesus had a seal Uh, uh, the stone sealed so that their situation might not be changed. Both Daniel and Jesus had the stone removed over the mouth of the pit. Both Daniel and Jesus at the first crack of dawn had people visit them. For Daniel, it was King Darius. For Jesus, it was not the disciples, it was women. Both Daniel and Jesus were lifted up from the pit. The point of this story is that it's not just about Daniel. The point of this story is that it's also about Jesus as well. But there are some differences between the life of Daniel and the life of Jesus. For example, in verse 22 to 23, it says this. Daniel says, my God, he's saying this to King Darius, my God sent his angel and he shut the mouth of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you 
your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Daniel was saved because he was found innocent and faultless. And as a result, there was no wound found on him. Chances are these corrupt politicians, they hired private investigators to look at Daniel's tax returns. They probably searched uh, his internet browsing history. They probably talked to people from his past in high school and college, but to no avail, they couldn't find any dirt on him. And as a result, Daniel's life was saved and he was found totally, totally innocent. I do wonder if there were private investigators that were hired to scrutinize and investigate our lives, how many of us could withstand it? checking our internet browsing history, talking to people from our past. I'm assuming none of us, but Daniel, he did live a faultless life. And as a result, he was saved. And similarly, Jesus lived a faultless, blameless life. But the difference between Jesus and Daniel is this. Unlike Jesus, uh, unlike Daniel, who had no wounds on him, Jesus did have wounds on him, even though he lived a totally blameless life. And the reason why Jesus had wounds on him is because according to the prophet Isaiah, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace, it was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. Jesus was totally innocent, but his innocence is transferred to us. And our guilt is transferred to him. And Jesus Christ is thrown into the lines and that is the cross. And unlike Daniel, Jesus dies. But like Daniel, who was lifted from the pit three days later, Jesus would also be lifted from the pit and be uh, victorious over death. And I want you to know that just as God delivered Daniel from what he was going through, just as God delivered Jesus, his son, from death, he will also deliver us from whatever we are going through during this crazy, crazy time. Right now, our world and as a nation, we are going through a lot right now. If it wasn't enough that we are mourning because of what's taking place with this virus and pandemic, there is another virus and pandemic that has uh, bitten us for a lot longer than coronavirus has, and that is the sin of racism, which is so pervasive in our nation. This past week, Yet another African-American, an African-American male named George Floyd, was senselessly killed. And this past week, as I've been praying and wrestling in prayer, um, it was hard for me when I was praying not to say to God, I, I don't know how much more of this we can take. How much more of this, this tragedy that's left and right, how much more of this can we handle? But you know, the, the one ray of light and the one solace that I found this past week uh, was learning more about George Floyd's life. And obviously he didn't live a perfect life, but the one solace that I did find in, in learning more about George Floyd was the fact that he, he did know God. I mean, the, the one picture that has been circulating matriculating is is uh, Floyd in a men's Bible study and how he was really really trying to change his life and how he was serving in a church and getting actively involved and although George Floyd was not delivered from um, the the hands of the police officer uh, that took his life I do know that 
George Floyd was ultimately delivered from death itself. And that's my hope. Uh, that's, that's the one ray of, of sunlight. That's, that's, that's my one solace in the midst of all that we're going through right now. So whether the coronavirus kills us or an act of racism and, and injustice kills us, what is my only hope? It's the fact that just as Daniel was lifted from the pit, Jesus was too, and one day we will be. This is the God that we believe in. This is the God that we serve. And you know what the point of spiritual habits is? It's not to make that God love us more. He's already proven it on the cross. You know what the point of spiritual habits is? It's for us to love God more, not for Him to love us more. And mature Christians understand then that our Christian habit, our spiritual habits, they're not a duty. They're a delight. You don't have to pray. You get to pray. You don't have to read the Bible. You get to read the Bible. You don't have to go to church. You get to go to church. It's not a duty. It's a, it's a delight. But you will only understand that it's a delight when you first understand foremostly that when he saved you, it wasn't his duty. It was his delight. When he died for you, it wasn't his duty. It was his delight. When he made you, it wasn't his duty. It was his delight. Our good habits can change our love for God. But as we close right now, I want you to know that our bad habits will never change his love for us. Let's pray together.